and good morning. So good to see you all, to be able to worship together again this morning. What a gift it is to be warmed by the hope and love of Christ and his people on a cold and soggy morning to be able to come together. It's a sweet, sweet gift from God and I'm thankful. So good to see you all and um, glad that you made it out and you could be with us this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, would love that opportunity to do that. And um, I'll be down front at the end of our time together. Uh, I also want to start with this. I usually end as we um, are going to receive communion. I usually will give these instructions, but I'm just going to try something out here at the 11 o'clock service because the 930 was a, a little bit congested. So I'm going to give you in advance our instructions. So um, if you can remember this and along with everything else I'm about to say, um, that'd be great. Uh, but when we receive communion, our elders are going to serve the tables. They'll dismiss you by the outside first, and then uh, we'll come to the center. Um, and I share that now just so that our hearts can sort of be remained attentive to what we are about to do rather than getting bogged down in instruction. So I hope you'll, um, uh, that's understandable. So the outsides first, and then the center when it comes time to receive communion at the end of our time. Um, we are in a study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, if you want to open your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 15. But before we get there, let me uh, just briefly remind you, it's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, been in this book. Last weekend, we welcomed Pastor Ronald Kogo from Nakuru, Kenya, uh, who came and preached here and was with us this, uh, that weekend. And um, just let me say how grateful he was to all of you uh, for the hospitality. Um, he loved being with you. Uh, he, he bragged uh, about you to me quite a bit on just the, the love that he uh, felt here and uh, his experience, and so um, such a joy to welcome him and um, to see as we're looking and studying the book of Acts and seeing God move um, all throughout the globe here in this book historically to know that he's still at work doing that. And as we've studied this text, it's been just a constant reminder. So it was a really sweet thing to be able to do that. And uh, two weeks ago, though, you were in Acts chapter 14, and Pastor Kent brought a message um, just illuminating and really showing us the work of the gospel as Paul and Barnabas went from city to city to city faithfully proclaiming Jesus to everyone they met and how that calling still rests upon our lives to faithfully proclaim Jesus. And as we read this story in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see reference again to how frequent and how just regular it was for Paul and Barnabas just to talk about all that God was doing um, in their midst. Um, as we've studied this book, though, as I've said, we've seen the Holy Spirit, Jesus promising the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and that his disciples would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, sending of the Spirit and uh, the sort of effectiveness of Jesus' promise, unfolding those promises. The church is uh, just growing and blowing up, spreading all out over the world. And they have come against, of course, many trials and many persecutions. In Acts chapter 14, Paul was stoned at Lystra. They thought he was dead. And so we have these great challenges that have come externally to the church, attacks coming on the church and upon God's people as the Holy Spirit propels them to take the message of the gospel forward. And again, we are the recipients of that same story, that same message. And as we see Pastor Ronald in Kenya and other partners and just know about God moving even here in our midst as this church is, we're struggling to keep you know, up with all the growth that we're experiencing in this faith family. All of those good things, the same work of God is happening still today. And it should encourage us 
But as we see that work of God happening, as we come to Acts chapter 15 and the external threats have been sort of the primary focus of what we've seen happen, in 15, we are going to see the first somewhat internal threat to the church. And that internal threat to the church is what is the true gospel? What saves a man or a woman, a boy or a girl? That is the question that comes to bear as the church wrestles with how to deal with the reality that the gospel was first taken to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, and now the Gentiles being grafted in, what does that mean? How is it that God is at work in this? And so the church is going to wrestle with this. As we see this wrestling, we're going to learn that it is a worthwhile wrestle, something that we must understand and grasp. But it's also, as we look at the way that the church handled this trial and this challenge, it's informative and I think it's, uh, it, it teaches us on how we deal with sometimes questions or thoughts. What is it, how do we wrestle with things of God and what is true and what is not true? And the beautiful thing is, is that we have this book that guides us the whole way through. And so as we come to Acts chapter 15, if you're able, would you stand out of reverence of God's word, for God's word, excuse me, as I read from verse one through 11. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that reminds us of what is at stake when we think about the gospel when we think about the power of your grace, a grace that, yes, is a stumbling block to many, a grace that confounds even my own heart sometimes to understand and to imagine that God can love sinners, can atone for my sin and call me to himself and declare me right. What an amazing, marvelous truth. I pray every soul in this room would rejoice at that truth, would know that truth. And those who are far off, who question, who aren't sure of the grace, aren't sure if that grace is sufficient for them, Holy Spirit, would you come now and give them that blessed assurance, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So what has happened between Acts chapter 14 and 15 is Paul 
and Barnabas have been teaching. They returned to the church in Antioch. You may remember at the end of chapter 14, they came back to Antioch after having this great travels, sharing the gospel everywhere they went. They had been sent out by the Holy Spirit from Antioch. They come back and then as they're sitting and continuing to do ministry in this church in Antioch, these men come from Judea to come and say, hey, what you have been doing as you've been taking the gospel to the Gentiles, you've missed something. You need to tell them, you need to inform them that they must be circumcised and if they're not circumcised according to the law of Moses they cannot be saved that's what they say in verse one they cannot be saved why was this something that was brought up to them well the reason is these were Jewish believers who had come to faith in Christ after of course they were Jews first and they had been obedient to the law of Moses they themselves had received that symbolic mark of the people of God which was circumcision under the old covenant today we have baptism which is our symbol that marks us as the as new covenant believers we are baptized in Christ and so we have these two symbolic things old covenant circumcision new covenant baptism and they believe because they were Jewish that they needed to have the Gentiles needed to first become obedient to the law and then could put their faith in Christ. And so what they were doing essentially was saying that yes, the grace of Christ is good, but we also need to have the obedience to the law in order for them to be saved. They were challenging. Was the gospel true? Are men and women saved by grace alone? By grace alone. Well, Paul and Barnabas, it says in verse 2, had no small dissension and debate with them over this question. I love the way that Luke puts that by saying no small dissension. Our eyes are kind of focused on this reality. This was not something to take lightly. It was not a small argument. It wasn't something that was insignificant. It wasn't something that they could just say, hey, you kind of go that way. We believe this over here. We're fine. We're all kind of believing the same thing. No, this was the gospel was at stake because when you take the grace of Christ, if you try to add anything to it, any law that is added to the grace of Christ, eliminates grace completely. You cannot have them coexist. It can't be something that says, well, yes, I agree with the grace of Christ. I believe in the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ is sufficient for me. His work on the cross is sufficient, but I also need to do this thing in obedience to the law or to the scriptures in order to truly be saved. Because the moment I do that, I have now put something that is contingent upon myself saying by fact that what Christ did was not sufficient. The gospel was at stake. This was a serious matter, and that is the reason why Luke says they had no small dissension. I can just imagine Paul, as he's hearing this, having been threatened by dealing with all the things that he had dealt with in order to take this beautiful message of God's grace to the people, to the Gentiles, him just bubbling up. In my life, that would show up a little bit. There'd be some redness right here in the neck. I could, just kind of, I could just see him seething over hearing this betrayal of the gospel message, the gospel that he had been given by Christ himself. And so they have no small dissension and debate over whether grace alone is sufficient because these folks wanted to add the law. Jude in verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. 
that contending, that fighting for, that, that believing in and standing strong in that Jude is calling to is not against any sort of ideas that are out there in the world. It's for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. He says we must contend for the gospel. The gospel is our only hope. And if there's something that we're going to get sort of up in arms about or we're going to defend, it's going to be the truth of what causes or what leads to us being saved. And it's the hope of Christ. It's the grace of Christ alone. And so after there is this discussion that takes place, they decide, the elders of that church, that local church in Antioch, and the apostles that are there, Paul and Barnabas, they say, we must go back to Jerusalem, and we're going to find this out. We're going to solve this problem once and for all for the church. They had to go to Jerusalem, and they believed that the right step for them was to go to Jerusalem, because if you might remember, Jerusalem was, in a sense, the mother church. All of them had been sent out by the apostles from the Jerusalem church, and so they're coming back home to Jerusalem to say, we're going to have a council, we're going to meet together, we're going to debate this, and we're going to discern, is it true that Gentiles, those who were not Jews, must be circumcised or must follow any bit of the law in order to be saved in addition to the grace of Christ? And so they go to Jerusalem, it says. And in verse 4, when they came, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles. And, the, and here, this, they declared all that God had done. Paul and Barnabas are telling the story. You wouldn't believe what happened in Seleucia. You wouldn't believe what happened in Pamphylia, what happened in Phrygia, all these places that they've been. They're just sharing story after story of God's faithfulness and his grace coming upon these people who at one time were very far off from God. But believers, it says in verse 5, believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and in order to keep the law of Moses. So now we have men from Judea who have come to Antioch, and as then those apostles went down to Jerusalem, we have the Pharisees, believing Pharisees, by the way, who now also believe the same thing. Now these Pharisees, it's important to note, it says that they are believers, these aren't the Pharisees, those external threats to the gospel that we sometimes read about in our New Testament and we sort of turn our noses up at them like, God, why are they so unfaithful? Why can't they believe? These are Pharisees who were raised in the Jewish faith, who believed, had, had studied the law, had, had done so much work and study and preparation to reach the appointment of being a Pharisee, which is a teacher of the law, a teacher of God's word, and then had come to faith in Jesus Christ. They had met Jesus and come face to face with his message of the gospel with his grace and they had believed in him but those roots run deep don't they the training the upbringing that they had all that they knew everything that they believed was that yes they needed to everyone must follow the law these Pharisees, by the way, were believers who most likely would have been rejected by their own families for turning away from Judaism and becoming a follower of Jesus. So these are faithful brothers. They're not people who are just trying to destroy the church, but they're wrestling with this again. No small debate. What is true? Is God's grace alone sufficient for salvation? Well, there would be an answer to this as they debated this question. Sometimes, and you're beginning to think to yourself, what does this have to do with us? Some of us have very similar backgrounds, perhaps, to those Pharisees. Raised in a certain way, 
not raised in a certain way, whatever it is in your background, that coming face to face with the truth of the gospel, that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself and there's nothing that you need to do that God demands of you to be saved. It is simply your faith alone that saves you in the grace of Christ alone. That is something that is mind-blowing to many of us. There's some who teach today this similar type of a teaching that you must believe in the grace of Christ, yes, but you also must do something else. There are churches that teach in order to be saved, you must be baptized. I'd invite them to come to Acts chapter 15 and really have that conversation again, but they teach that. There's some teaching out there that exists even today. And if you weren't raised in that, if that's not something that came in your upbringing through a, a church or some other uh, you know, means, we sometimes do it to ourselves. We say to ourselves, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I really need to do this. You know how I hear that? Pastor, I'm not a very religious person. Pastor, I'm not the most faithful. Pastor, I'm not. When you say I'm not, you are saying in your heart, I'm not sure if God's grace is sufficient for me. And what, Paul, what Luke would say, and what Paul and Barnabas are arguing here is that you are saved by grace alone. The reformers, our church that we sort of you know, live out of and have grown up in, in this church, in this context, the Protestant church is built on the tenet that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's the truth. But we sometimes wrestle with that in our hearts. Can that really be true? Because the gospel is confounding. And here's what we know is true. I would never deal with someone else how God has dealt with me. I'd never show that much grace. I wouldn't be that kind. I would ask for something more. Praise be to God, we are not God. His grace is sufficient. And so they argue this point and they bring this to the church and Peter stands up in response to those teachers from Judea, the Pharisees that were said, yes, we must also be circumcised. And this is Peter's response. It says in verse seven, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts, underline this, circle it, highlight it, do whatever you need to do, tattoo it on your arm by faith, by faith. It is not grace plus, plus the law. It is by grace through faith. This is what Peter declares. And he uses the history and the story and the testimony of the church itself where he's saying there in Jerusalem, you yourselves remember how I preached. I was sent to the Gentiles. He probably recounted perhaps in more detail with some the vision that he got before he went to Cornelius' house, how the Holy Spirit sent him to go and take the message of the gospel and God made no distinction. And then he reminds them of the most significant fact that happened in that story. The Holy Spirit of God came upon them. The Holy Spirit came, not after they were circumcised because they weren't, not after they did anything else. When they put their faith in Jesus's grace alone, the Holy Spirit came. Now here's a factual 
sort of evidence type thing that I like. I'm not an attorney. I at one point thought, you know, I watched enough Perry Mason. I really wanted to be an attorney when I was young. Some of y'all, y'all don't even know who Perry Mason is. See, that's why y'all didn't laugh. It's just very old. But I grew up watching Perry Mason when I was a kid. I thought it'd be awesome. But I love this factual evidence how Peter recounts this. You remember how the Holy Spirit came. And let me ask you, do you remember When the Gentiles first came to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit didn't come immediately upon them as happens today. No, he waited. God waited to send the Spirit. And what did he wait for? For the apostles to come down from Jerusalem to see what God had done. And when they got there, he sent the Holy Spirit. Because God knew Acts 15 was going to happen a few years down the line. And he was going to use Peter to say, do you remember how the Holy Spirit came? You yourselves saw it. And he made no distinction. The Holy Spirit didn't say, I can't fall upon this person because he hasn't been circumcised yet. I can't fall upon this person because he hasn't done whatever the fill in the blank is that we might have. No, the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers. And so this is the testimony you have seen that God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The only thing that saves us who are far from God as a result of our own sinfulness is the grace of God of Christ alone. There's nothing to be added to it by grace through faith. Well, Peter finished and everyone was left silent in the whole assembly. They had no argument with Peter because they were like, yes, yeah, I remember I was there. That's, that's exactly what happened. That's how the Lord did it. Well, James stands up and he says, hey, I know you just heard from Peter, but lest we just believe and do everything based on the testimony of someone else, let me remind you also what God's word says. And so James reminds them of the apostle Amos who said this, verse 13, James picks up, after they were finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me, Simeon, that's James's name for Peter, by the way, so that's the same person, Peter or Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. The prophet said all the nations, the same word would be translated as Gentiles here in Greek. And the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. James appeals to the word of God. I said that as we think about and wrestle sometimes with things within our own church today and present day, we look to the testimony of others, we hear from the testimonies, but James points us to the ultimate source, which is the authority of the truthfulness of God's word. One of the reasons that the values that we have here, one of our values at City Church, if you're a guest with us, we say that the Bible is true. It is sufficient and it is authoritative for everything that we need to know. And so all that we do, we strive to follow this book. And James appeals to the word of God as he's dealing with this question. Sometimes, even today, we still deal with questions, not as often as weighty as what saves a person, but there are questions of practice and habit and what we do here as a church family. If you've been to 101 or 201, by the way, let me just encourage you, please join us next week. If you've never been to a 101 class, you'll get to learn a little bit about our church, our story, and as Pastor Adam said, our vision and values, those values that I just referenced. But one of the things that we say often as we gather together and, and, and talk about these things is that the reality that we can rest on the scriptures and we can trust them. 
And as we look to them, there are sometimes there are closed-handed issues and there are open-handed issues. That's a, a terminology that we use here in this church. When we talk about a closed-handed issue, the closed-handed issue is really ultimately one thing. It's the gospel, which means we don't, there's no question about the truth of the gospel, what saves us. It is by grace alone. Open-handed issues are things like how we baptize. We practice baptism here at City Church. Many of you have been a part of those services. As people come to faith in Christ, they come in obedience to Christ to be baptized. They're baptized in water by immersion because that's what we see as we look to God's word. But it is an open-handed issue. And I tell everyone that's come to a class, I know that there will be faithful brothers and sisters who are baptized as infants. I have pastor friends who lead their churches to do that practice and lead and, and baptism in that way. It's not a gospel issue. It's not a closed-handed issue. It's an open-handed issue. The closed-handed issue, the thing that matters the most, and the reason that Paul and Barnabas and all the elders said we have to wrestle with this is because it comes down to what saves us. Is it grace plus some effort of my own, or is it purely based on the merit of Christ? And the truth of Scripture is that it is by grace through faith, and that is in accordance with God's word. We can know that that is true. As I said a moment ago, some of you are thinking, well, this is an amazing church history lesson, but I don't know what this has to do with me. What it has to do with us is too often, even those of us like the Pharisees who have put our faith in Jesus, we have put some other yoke of the law upon ourselves, a yoke that Jesus does not intend for us to carry. We've said to ourselves, God can love me and God will love me if I do this or that. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I know he's real. I know he's the truth. All of those things that you tell me, Pastor, but I still need to sort of clean myself up over here. I need to get this thing right in my life. God will never really love me if I don't do this or that. Let me just tell you that God's love is an unconditional love. And that means exactly what unconditional means. There is no condition with which you could find yourself outside of God's grace if you simply put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. No condition. There's no work of the law that must be done in order for you to be welcomed into God's family. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not Christ plus our efforts. Not Christ plus what we can do for the church or for the kingdom, but through Christ alone. And when we know that, when we understand that truth, this is where the mission and the work that we see Paul and Barnabas do, why were they so faithful in following Jesus in this and, and, and going to the ends of the earth to share this gospel? Because they understood that the world was perishing absent of that grace and they had a job to do, which was to declare that grace to a world who desperately needed it. We need that grace. I need that grace. You need that grace. And it can save us if we would believe it. Some of you have not believed because you've put that yoke of the law upon yourself. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table and receive communion, where we remember the grace of Christ on full display through the cross, I want to encourage you, just remind you, invite you to believe. Maybe that yoke rests upon your shoulders because, like the Pharisees, it's part of your upbringing. It's really hard for you to detach yourself from believing that the law, that you must do this work. 
it's hard for you to believe that God's grace is sufficient for you. And so because of that, you really wrestle. Some of you have never believed in Jesus because you can't yet bring yourself to accept the grace of Christ. I want to invite you this morning, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, to take that yoke off and lay it down and believe the words that Pastor Adam spoke to you in his welcome this morning, that Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why could he say that? Because he knew he was going to the cross to take it all upon himself so that we might find rest in him, so that you might find rest. The striving and the toiling of your heart, ultimately, I would believe, I would guess, I don't know all of your stories, but I would guess, comes down to this. Could God really love me? Look at me. He does. He has. And he's shown you his love through the cross. And that's why we come to the Lord's table, to remember his grace, which is sufficient for us. His broken body, his shed blood. My life is built on this fact. Everything about my life, not perfectly, but everything is built on this foundation. God would have been right and just to condemn me because of my sinfulness. Because I wanted to do life my own way, under my own strength, how I wanted to do it, for my own glory. And I lived that life for a while. And then Jesus met me. And he showed me that grace. And I was assured by faithful brothers and sisters that Jesus went to a cross to lay down his life to take on God's right wrath against my sin upon himself. He was nailed to a cross, he died. Three days later, he took up his own life again, saying, Death. You are now dead. Ryan's sin has now been atoned for. The sins of the world have been levied against me and I have paid it all. And so when we come to the table, as Jesus instructed the church to do, we remember that his grace is sufficient. I want you to remember the instructions I gave you and I want you to bow your heads. If you're unsure of that grace, right now in this moment, would you believe? Don't just trust me. <laughs> the words that I just shared with you are words directly from God himself, God's word to us. Be happy to sit down with you at some point and walk you through those scriptures that testify to that being true. But I want to invite you in this moment to believe. And as the worship team begins to lead us in just a song of prayer, come forward, come to God's table, and remember that Jesus paid it all for you. If you're a believer, if you follow Jesus today, as the worship team sings this over us, would you also remember Remember what Christ has done. 
and build your life upon that alone. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.